As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up, we're going to be in Romans chapter 11 today. And whenever we arrive at Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is in somewhat of an introspective mood. He is, to a degree, grieving what has occurred in his own country, the country of Israel. And he's grieving the fact that historically, they often did not listen to God. That God loved them, God had covenant relationship with them, but frequently they pushed away from God and they refused to listen. If you read the chapters before, you'll find that he is thankful as he looks back and he can see how, even though there had been the struggle, the sovereign hand of God had continued to work through the nation of Israel. And now God had made decisions to continue advancing the gospel. And so Paul begins to look forward and he's hopeful that one day his own people will turn to God in salvation and turn to God in gratitude. And so it's out of this reflective spirit that Paul pens one of the great prayers of the Bible. And today, I would like for us to make this our prayer. He writes in verse 33 of Romans chapter 11, All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I want you to look back at verse 36 again because I'm hoping that this will be your Thanksgiving verse. Where Paul writes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Last month I had the privilege of touring the African American History Museum in Washington, D.C. It was a very moving experience. Whenever you go to the museum, it begins with this elevator ride and it takes you down beneath the ground, and whenever you come out of the elevator, you find yourself in the 16th century. You are right in the middle of the era of history in which you had the intercontinental slave trade, and the ships were moving between Africa and other parts of the world. And so you are, you are surrounded by stories of people, many of them just children, 10, 11, 12 years of age, who were taken from their homes and then put on ships. They called it the Middle Passage, the trip from Africa to whatever country they were being taken to. Put on ships, and then if they survived the Middle Passage, they were then sold into slavery. At one part there in the exhibit, there was an actual slave block. It was a large stone, and I stood there and I imagined the history that took place there on that stone where the slaves would stand there and they would be sold at auction. 
And my heart broke whenever I read some of the stories, stories like a a mother being separated from her little baby and then both of them being sold into slavery. And I imagined the hopelessness and the deep despair that they must have felt in their lives. When you read the book of Romans, Paul makes a startling claim. He claims that we were once all slaves. Now, not slaves in the physical sense, but slaves in the spiritual sense, that literally we were enslaved to our sinful nature, and we were destined for a life that was void of hope, a life that would ultimately die physically and spiritually. And so he frequently talks in the book about the Old Testament law and how the Old Testament law would reveal this unhappy reality over and over again to us. You see, when you read the Bible, the Bible's not a story of good people searching for God. I think that's what a lot of people think the Bible is. It's, it's a collection of stories where good people were searching for God. In fact, if you read the Bible, the people of the Bible were pretty messed up. They had a lot of challenges in their life. They had problems within their family. There was a lot of dysfunctionality in a, particularly a lot of the Old Testament such stories. The Bible is a story of a good God who searched us out, who loved us even in our sin to the degree that He was willing to take on flesh and die for our sins. And the story of the Gospel, the story of Jesus, who He is, what He has done for us, is a story of liberation because through Christ we have been liberated from slavery to sin and we have been freed to live eternally in Him. So the story of the Gospel is a story of freedom in Christ. Now, in this series, we have been talking about in God's presence, and we've been looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible and trying to learn some principles of prayer from these great prayers. And so, in this little text that we're looking at today, I think there are three, it identifies three common problems that we often have in our own prayer life. Look at verse 33. The Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. Do you ever try to figure out God? Anybody ever try to figure out God? Am I the only one? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't really work to try to figure out, God, I'm going to try to understand everything that that there is about. Why? Because, Because His ways are different than mine. His wisdom is greater than mine. His knowledge goes beyond what I can see. I do not possess the depth of His wisdom and knowledge. Any hunters in the room today? Any hunters? I'm proud of you guys. Y'all are here. It's deer season, and you're here. I'm proud, I'm proud of you. I know. Week before Thanksgiving, you're, you're, you're here. Well, if you're a hunter in the house, you can relate to this because he says, His paths are untraceable. 
whenever you begin to try to figure out exactly what he's doing or why he's doing this and what's happening here, the scriptures say it's, it's like a hunter searching and, and the path is untraceable. Why? Because you don't go to prayer to try to figure out God. Prayer is a place of faith. You go to prayer to rest in his wisdom. You see, here's what happens so often in life. We're trying to figure out everything and solve everything, and we want answers, and in the information age in which we live now, we want answers immediately. And if we don't get them, we grow frustrated. And prayer becomes a place where we can just rest in faith, trusting in God that His wisdom and His knowledge is greater than ours, and that He is doing some things that we cannot even imagine in our own mind that go beyond us. And we find rest in the presence of God. In verse 34, the Bible says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? (laughs) I love this next part. Or who has been his counselor? Do you ever try to give God advice? Be God's counselor. That doesn't work either. Yet whenever we enter into the presence of God, I find that sometimes our prayers try to catch up God on what's going on. It's Like, okay, God, good to talk to you today. Uh, well, um, uh, Johnny did well on his math test, and Thanksgiving's coming up, and we're traveling to go see family, and this is all that's going on, and so I'm talking to you right now just to catch you up on my life, and, and, uh, and, and then also, Lord, I, I want to give you some options. Anybody ever try to give God options? Trying to be God's counselor? All right, so here's the problem, Lord, and here's option A, and here's option B, and here's option C, and I really hope that you choose B, and you almost try to guide God into his options. That doesn't work. Maybe prayer isn't about changing God, but maybe prayer is about God changing us. Now, don't hear me wrongly. You can bring the request of your heart to the Lord. We see that modeled for us in the Gethsemane prayer. Jesus comes into the garden and he prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. There is the prayer request followed by the surrender, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Whenever we enter into prayer, it's not a session in which we are counseling God as to what he should do so that he might follow our will. But whenever we enter into prayer, we are free to bring the request of our heart, but that request should always be followed by the surrender of our soul. Not my will, but your will be done. Because we recognize that God's ways are untraceable, that His knowledge is greater, that His wisdom is deeper than ours. And so we enter into the presence of God seeking His will and seeking Him to change us so that we might reflect Him more clearly. Look at verse 35. Or who has ever first given to Him and has to be repaid? Do you ever bargain with God in your prayer? Okay, God, let's make a deal. 
I think that's the third common mistake that we often make in our prayer that's identified here. Prayer is not about figuring out God. Prayer is not about giving God advice. And prayer is not about bargaining with God. And yet, sometimes that's what we try to do. We say, okay, God, if you'll come through for me on this, then I'll come through for you. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. And God says, I don't owe you anything. You can't negotiate with me because it already belongs to me. You can't come to me and negotiate. Now, wake up. If you've drifted a little bit mentally, come back to me. If your phone's on something other than your Bible app, you know, come back to me here for a little bit, okay? Because these last, these last, this last verse contains two truths that I believe could massively change your perspective in life and can really bring a new perspective to what we call Thanksgiving. The Scripture says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Two perspective game changers here. Number one, Everything that I have, all that I am, whatever I enjoy, the Bible reminds me that it is from Him, through Him, and to Him. From Him, through Him, to Him. From Him, through Him, to Him. Let's let's say that together on the count of three. A one and a two and a three. From Him, through Him, to Him. All that I have, all that I am, is from Him, through Him, to Him. Now, frequently in our celebrations of Thanksgiving, we talk about what we're thankful for. And many times our list is a list of things. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for my house, my car, all these different things. Have you ever gone a little bit deeper and thought, well, okay, I'm thankful for my job. Who gave me that intellect to be able to do my job? Who gave me that skill that is so unique that I'm able to use in my life to provide for my family? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. We call it thanksgiving. And whenever you give thanks, you are transferring gratitude from you to someone else. How foolish it is to express our thanks to things. Oh, house, I'm so thankful for you. It's an inanimate object. It can't receive your thanksgiving. Only something that is alive can receive your gratitude. The other day, I did something really nice for my house. I, yeah, I was giving. I changed my AC filters. Now my house can breathe a lot better. I mean, I, I did something really nice for it. My house has not said thank you to me one time for doing that. Why? Because I can't transfer gratitude from me to an inanimate object. If I'm going to give thanks, then I have to give thanks to another person. And the Scriptures remind me here that what I am giving thanks for ultimately comes from my Lord. 
because all things are from him, through him, to him. You see, you find thanksgiving when you find the one who has given you everything that you have. And whenever I understand where it all comes from, then I'm able to express my gratitude both to God and and to others. And here's the second game-changing perspective changer. I live for his glory, not mine. First of all, I realize that everything that I am, everything that I have, it all comes from him. Secondly, I'm living for his glory, not mine. It, It ends with, to him be glory forever, Amen. So what this means is that I want to use all that I have to honor him. I want who I am and what he's blessed me with to be leveraged in such a way that it makes much of Jesus. I want to live for God's glory rather than mine. And whenever we do this, It frees us to live with what I call the singleness of purpose. To live with that one major goal. In all that I do, in all that I say, in the attitudes that I harbor, in the ways that I treat people, I want to bring glory to God. That can be a radically life-changing principle. When you realize that in everything that you do, you may live with a singleness of purpose that says, I want to make much of God. I want to bring glory to God in this. What is the goal in my marriage? I want to treat my spouse in such a way that it honors God and brings glory to Him. What is the major goal in my parenting? I want to raise my children in such a way that I honor God. I want them to know God. I want them to know of His love. I want them to learn what it's like to love one another and to love others. During the time that my children are under my roof, I want to help them learn and discover God's mission for their life and equip them to live it out so that they may honor God in their life. In my job, I want to bring honor and glory to God. In the finances that God has entrusted to my care, I want to bring glory and honor to God. Whenever you begin living life with that singleness of purpose, it brings so much into focus because wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I have one major goal, and that is to honor God in all things. Thursday is the day that we set aside in the United States to express our gratitude. Now, Thanksgiving, I've told you guys this before, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Now, it's my favorite holiday for several reasons. First of all, it's kind of like Christmas without all the busyness and materialism. You you have the family, you have the food, and you don't have all the materialism. Now, it's a little bit ironic that on Thursday we sit down and we talk about how grateful we are, and then on Black Friday... We're up at 4 a.m. living out a real-life game of Fortnite at the local Walmart. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit ironic that way. But I, I still like Thanksgiving. It's, it's my favorite holiday. I, I, I like it because it smells good. There's not a better-smelling holiday than Thanksgiving. I've told young ladies before, if they really want to be attractive to men, just put a little giblet gravy on you and wear it like perfume, and the men will come, come running. Yeah. Uh, and Wednesday, I'm going to fire up the smoker, and I'm going to smoke a turkey. And in my mind, 
I can already smell the goodness. Now, you're not invited, but, well, I guess if you came by, I'd give you a little turkey, but, uh, but I'll post pictures and stuff like that. But anyway, and while I'm at it, let me once again remind you, this is something I do every Thanksgiving, remind you that friends don't serve friends jellied cranberries, okay? <laughs> I have been on a mission for some time to eradicate jellied cranberries from our Thanksgiving celebrations. Fruit is not supposed to quiver. That's just a basic <laughs> principle of life. Whenever you serve fruit, you're not supposed to see the lines of the can and the ocean spray stamp in the fruit that you serve to your loved ones in gratitude, okay? Now, join me, join Lash this year in eradicating jelly cranberries from Thanksgiving celebrations. So, okay, now, I, I, I'm losing this battle a little bit, so I need support, okay? Because every year, people keep posting jellied cranberries on my Facebook wall and texting me pictures of how they're enjoying it all day long. But I, I'm just saying that there's a lot of good traditions that come along with Thanksgiving, but some need to die, okay? And this, this, is, this is one of, one of those things right there. Okay, anyway, here's the biggest challenge when it comes to Thanksgiving, Finding it. Finding it. Really finding gratitude. You see, in our American culture, it is very rare to have any meaningful conversation. For many of us, meaningful conversation is like a coiled snake that causes us to recoil. If we see it, if we come near it, we will avoid it. We will run from it, we will relocate it, or we will kill it. And, and the idea of truly expressing feelings of gratitude can cause grown men to squeal like a little child. So, we settle. We settle for superficial things. Food tastes good. Oh, I can't eat another bite. Oh. Isn't it good to get some time off from work? It's good to see family. Oh, fo- Cowboys about to start. Let's, let's go in. Let's watch, let's watch the football game. And we, we have these superficial conversations and these superficial celebrations, but gratitude's chair at most Thanksgiving celebration is empty. And so I, I want to encourage you to be different. I want to encourage you this Thanksgiving to think about more than food, sports, travel, and the kids' hobbies. Take time to talk about some things that are truly meaningful. I I want to encourage you to covenant with your soul that you're going to think on things on high. And try not to let those things that don't really matter upset you. You know, here's, here's the, we get upset over the table setting wasn't right. The rolls were burnt. The turkey was dry. Nobody really cares about that stuff after an hour. I, as a pastor, I, I do a lot of funerals. I've never been to a funeral where somebody got up in a eulogy and said, 
Well, Grandma really couldn't cook turkey very well, and she always burned the rolls. No one talks about those things. They talk about the things that really matter and how we impact people. And so here's my prayer for you and your family, that you will truly find thanksgiving this year. That it will be deeply meaningful, that it will be a refocusing moment in your life, that you will remember that all things come from Him and through Him and are to Him, and that you will remember that in any celebration of gratitude, we must remember that our ultimate goal is to bring God glory. And we don't just bring God glory with the earthly stuff, we bring God glory forever because in Christ we have life eternal. Amen? That's exactly how the passage ends. Now, some says, Lash, <laughs> that sounds good, but you don't know my family. Hey, with my family, not going to happen, okay? We are dysfunctional, okay? We just, if I get any beyond anything in the superficial, it's going to be hard. Okay, I, I get it. I don't know your family. Maybe there's some dynamics within your extended family that are very difficult for you to navigate. But here's something I do know. I know your church family. And that's us. And have you ever thought about, have you really thought about this, how, how special this is every week? That we leave our homes and we come together as a church family to worship God. It's special just having the freedom to do that. We come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different perspectives, yet we have one great thing in common, and that is Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And so here today, here's how we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. We're going to sit around the table of Thanksgiving. Now, rather than eating turkey and dressing, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a deeply meaningful time for the church. It's a time where believers remember who Christ is and what He has done for us. We do ask you to recognize the sacredness of this. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ who has professed that faith in Him, then we ask you to honor the Lord's Supper and not partake in it. But we also invite you to do something else. If you're not a believer, we would invite you to make this your time where you place your faith in Jesus Christ. I'll be here at the front during the serving of the Lord's Supper, and you can come and you can see me, and I'll talk to you about what it means to be a believer in Christ. For those of us in the church, for those of us who are believers, the deacons will come and they will stand at these tables and as the musicians lead us in a hymn, we would invite you to come forward and take of the Lord's Supper and then take it back to your seat before you partake because I want to lead us as a church together in the taking of it. So come, take, go back to your seat, and then I'll lead you through the taking of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for... We thank you for your great love. 
I thank you that you proved your love in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that we never have to doubt your love because it's been proven once and for all at Calvary. And Lord, I thank you that there is security in you. That because you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves, that nothing can separate us from that love. We are secure today and we are secure forever. And so help us, Lord, to be deeply, deeply grateful people. Recognizing that all that we have, that all that we are, that who we are comes from you. And Lord, we're also thankful for those various blessings that you've brought into our lives, whether it's financial or material or people. We thank you for the blessings. And before we go our various ways and celebrate Thanksgiving this week, we as a family of believers want to gather around your table and express our thanksgiving to you. To remember Jesus Christ, His body that was broken for us, and His blood that was shed for us. So Lord, may You use this moment to set our soul, to fill us with gratitude as we think on You. It's in Jesus' name we pray, in Jesus' name we worship.